0: Take out your Bibles, please. You can take it out in your electronic version or your hard copy. It's always a joy to be able to open up God's Word with you. Uh, First Baptist, I want to tell you, these are exciting days for us as a church family. The month of May, our focus was, was praying that we as a church family believe when God says, call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. When he, we call, He answers, and He'll knock down the fences to give us an answer. We spent the month praying. We had cottage prayer meetings in our home, and what a blessing it was to unite together, link arms together, praying together. The month of June, our focus has been on God's Word. We believe that God wrote a book, and God wrote the scriptures for us, and we have been saying we just don't want to shake hands with the Word, but we want to embrace it. One of the ladies of our church came up to me last Sunday morning and said, Pastor Eric, thank you for giving us the challenge to read the Bible every day. She said, for the very first time in my entire life, I am reading the Bible every single day, and it is radically changing my life. She said, Pastor, thank you for challenging us to get in God's Word. One of the ways that we did that was through the 30 life principles from God's Word. And this morning, we have a gift for every one of you. On your way out this morning, make sure you get a keychain And it's got all 30 life principles for you. So, it's got the life principle on one side. It's got the scripture for you on the other side. So, you can continue that journey in God's Word. We just don't want to shake hands, but we want to embrace God's Word. And our prayer has been through the month of June that you've embraced God's Word in a great way. We embrace it through Windshake Camp with over 300 children at camp this year. Uh, many, many children came to know Jesus Christ, so we celebrate that. We celebrate what God's done in the month of June. Just this past week, as we read the entire Bible, when I got finished last Sunday morning, I read Genesis 1:1, and on Friday night at 9:13 exactly, I finished the last chapter, Revelation's chapter 22. So let me ask you: How many of you read scripture this last week? How many of you read scripture? Wow! Look at all of you making. We give God a big hand for that. What a blessing it's it's been all week long, and you know we've been we streamed all of it live through our Facebook page. And as of Wednesday night, I don't have the latest statistics. As of Wednesday night, um, we had had over twenty-four people go to our Facebook page. We had, as of Wednesday night, we had 11,000 people had watched people read scripture. That was of Wednesday night. So probably at this moment, we've had over 40,000 people look at our Facebook page and 20,000 people watching us read scripture. So man, isn't that incredible? uh, Person after person, that they read they said, Pastor, I just didn't know how incredible it was just to stand and read Scripture out loud. You know why it is? Because you're reading God's Word. And when we honor God's Word, it's absolutely a beautiful thing. The reason I can't tell you the latest numbers that we had, Jared, who's a part of our staff, he directs all of our technical issues of our church some of you might know this, some of you might not know this, but he's in Shan's hospital and ICU at this moment. Uh, most of y'all know that Jared's had several kidney transplants. His last kidney transplant was seven years ago, and uh, tomorrow they'll be doing a biopsy to see if that kidney's completely failing or exactly what they've got to do, but he's received many, many units of blood while being there and a lot of different things, so I, I Can we just stop and pray for him real quick? He's had a—Jerry's got a lot going on. Tomorrow we'll be celebrating Tom's life, his grandfather who passed away this week, and just had a lot going on, you know. uh, He was going to get away two weeks ago, just a couple days, and he got the shingles really bad on his neck and his head and now all this. So let's just pray for him and Sarah and the kids this morning. Lord God, we just— we pray over Jared this morning Lord we we so deeply love him and appreciate all he does for your kingdom God we pray over his kidney this morning God we pray a supernatural healing over his kidney at this moment God I pray for him and Sarah and the children as they walk through this I pray God, may your peace and your comfort just saturate their souls at this moment. God, I pray away every issue of discouragement, and God, replace it with the power of Almighty God. We just pray healing over Jared this morning. In Christ's name, amen just keep praying for him and we'll keep you updated on how he's doing but the month of June was the word July next Sunday morning I'm going to begin a 4 weeks on the Holy Spirit what is the role of the Holy Spirit and how does the Holy Spirit work inside of our life because I believe we build a church off of prayer the word and the Holy Spirit of God that empowers us but this morning I want to bring a word that I believe that Volusia County and our nation needs to hear. How many of you would agree with this, our nation is sick? Our nation, how many of you would say, our, our nation's in trouble? How many of you say, we're headed down the wrong road? Let, let's talk about it in a minute we know that our nation is $21 trillion in debt. Let's put that in perspective. For each person in the United States of America, that means we owe 64,500 and some odd dollars for you. So if you look at every person in this room For each person in this room, our nation is in debt almost $65,000 on you. So, how many of you would say we are financially bankrupt? We're, we're, We're heading the wrong direction. But worse than being financially bankrupt, we are spiritually bankrupt. We are now at the place that we call wrong Right and what is right, wrong. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are physically bankrupt as a nation. And I believe there is a Scripture in God's Word, I think that really explains the condition of our nation. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to begin in verse number 10. Three, Romans chapter 10, verse number three. And if you would say, Pastor Eric, give me one verse in the Bible that would explain the condition of our nation, I would say Romans chapter ten, verse three. I want you to see three major things in this text of scripture in Romans 10 verse three, then we're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to give you that our nation needs the same answer that the Apostle Paul preached to the city of Corinth. I mean, the city of Corinth, they were turned upside down. They had a lot of different philosophies, a lot of different beliefs. They were messed up, and Paul made a commitment. He was determined to preach. One thing and one thing only, and I believe it's what we need to say to Volusia County and our nation. But Romans 10, verse 3, really, I believe, highlights where we are as a nation. I'm going to read the entire verse, and then I want you to see this verse in the viewpoint of three statements, and these three statements are our nation. All right, Romans 10, verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Let me read that to you, and I want it to come to you And I want this verse to really sink down in your life because I think this is the clearest picture of America today. Let me read it to you again and say, Holy Spirit of God, reveal this scripture and put it in me. Listen what it says. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Let's break this down in the three parts, because I believe this is the United States of America. The first part of it, look again. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Would you agree with me that our nation is ignorant of God's righteousness? Yes or no? Okay, what do we mean that we're ignorant of God's righteousness? Write these three things down, and I want you to get these in your heart. We are ignorant about who God is, that God is holy, and that God is righteous, and God is set apart. It says in verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, that they are ignorant about the very nature of God. They do not understand that He's holy, that He's righteous, and it is perfect. So let me ask you a question. Has God ever sinned? Can God ever do anything wrong? No. I believe our nation is ignorant with who God is. Please look this way. Do not miss this. Our nation is more concerned about figuring out who they are than knowing who he is. If you want to know who you are, know who he is. We have got this thing turned around and backwards, especially in our universities today. In our universities, they're trying to figure out who you are. Our students don't need to figure out who they are. They need to figure out who God is. And when you know who God is, then you know who you are. But what does Satan do? Satan always takes it and twists it and manipulates it. We are ignorant of God's righteousness. We are ignorant of God's nature that is holy and righteous. Second thing, write this down. How are we ignorant about God's righteousness? We are ignorant about man's sinfulness. Have you noticed we don't like calling our sin, sin. We call it that it was a mistake. I mean, how many of you heard somebody lie? But, I mean, we we have gotten pretty creative of coming up with other terms for lying, aren't we? Why? Because men don't want to admit that we were born sinners separated from God, and we need a relationship with a holy, righteous God. What are we ignorant about? We're ignorant about who God is. We are ignorant about who we are as mankind. Here's the third thing. What are we ignorant about? We are ignorant about the love of God. You might say, Pastor Eric, that is not the case. I mean, look at us, we know the love of God. But here's the fact, in central Florida that we're living, We live in the eighth most lost community in the entire United States of America. So when you take a map of the 50 states of America and you were the circle eight different regions, we live in the eighth most lost region in the entire United States of America. And what happens is they are ignorant about the love of God and that the love of God sent God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to come and live and dwell among us and live a perfect life and become the perfect sacrifice so that we might know God. How many of you would say our nation is ignorant of how much God loves us through His Son, Jesus? We're ignorant about it. What do we do? Instead, we're going to take the name of Jesus in vain as a nation. Why do we do that? We're ignorant of the righteousness of God. What happens when we're ignorant of the righteousness of God? Look back in verse number three. First step, as a nation, when you're ignorant of the righteousness of God, then you take the second step. When you're ignorant of God, what do you do next? What does the text of Scripture say? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to do what? establish their own righteousness. When you're ignorant of who God is, you're ignorant of God's righteousness, the very next step is then you establish your own righteousness. The apostle Paul was writing this to the Jewish audience here as he's writing them saying, you know what? You're ignorant about God's righteousness, and what have you done? You have done everything you can to establish your own righteousness, your own religion, your own works, your own stuff. That's why on the Sabbath day, you could only take so many steps. That's why when we go to Israel right now, and you go to the temple mount, and you go to the welling wall... You will see them at the welling wall. The last time Amy and I were there, they're at the welling wall. They're praying. They put their prayers in it. When they leave the welling wall, they just don't turn immediately away. When they leave the welling wall, they, they back all the way back from it, and you'll watch them walk as far as they can because they want to face God, they want to do what's try, right. and they want to show their pride how close they are to God and that they're not turning their back on God. So when you're at the Temple Mount, you'll see them, all these people, and it's a, they'll just walk back and walk back and walk back. What are they doing? They've established their own set of righteousness of trying to get to God. What have we done in America when we're ignorant of who God is? We establish what's right. God forgive us. God designed mirrors to be Husband and wife, a man and a lady. What? Everybody look at me. What have we done as a nation? Because we're ignorant of God's righteousness in who He is, we have established our own righteousness. What have we done? Hey, God, you really didn't know best. What have we done in America? We have said every life really doesn't matter. We won't even call what's in a mom's womb a baby. Why have we done that? When we're ignorant of God's righteousness and God's holiness and who he is, then what do we do? We establish our own. What have we done as a nation? We are ignorant of God. We are so ignorant of God. How many times have you heard somebody stand up and say, we are all God's children? That is complete ignorance. We are all God's creation, but we are not all God's children. In order to be God's child, you've got to be born again. Why why do we say that across America? Because we are a nation that is ignorant, and we have spit in the face of God at his righteousness and his holiness, and we have established our own. God, help us. Look at the third step in verse number three. I mean, would you not say this explains America? I I just got chill bumps. Let's read all this again. I want you to see this. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. Here's our third step. Have not submitted to the righteousness of God. As Paul's writing this to these Jewish leaders, he say, hey, Jewish leaders, Jesus Christ came and he lived and he came back and died and came back to life, but you're not willing to submit to him and you're not willing to believe in Jesus. You know where our nation is? Our nation is the point that we have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And what have we done? We have not denied ourselves and picked up his cross and followed him. What have we not done? We have not submitted ourselves to Jesus Christ. We have submitted ourselves to our lovers of ourself, lovers of pleasure. We have submitted ourselves to our own self instead of submitting to the righteousness of Almighty God and his Son, Jesus Christ. And have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Have you noticed it's one thing when people talk about God, but it's another thing when you talk about Jesus. They have not submitted. I'm going to read this verse one more time. This, I think this is a picture of the United States of America. Let's read it one more time. And I want you to meet, Do you agree this is where we are? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Does that sound like America? Oh, you can talk back to it. Does that sound like America? Yes, that is us. So I have a question. Where are the people of God? We're the ambassadors of Christ. I think in general, the church of America kind of looks like Gideon trying to get an army together in Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. God told Gideon, Gideon was the the lowest of the 12 tribes and the lowest of that tribe. I mean, he was the runt of all runs. And God said, Gideon, get an army together. You have a battle to fight. Gideon had a, got a, a group of men together, 32,000. God said, Gideon, you've got way too many. Tell everybody who's afraid just to go home. Does anybody remember how many went home? How many went home out of the 32,000? 22,000. I want everybody right here. I don't want you to to miss a word today. Where are the people of God? I think the majority have gone home because they're afraid. Gideon looked at those men and said, if you're afraid, just go home. There was a stampede, 22,000 of them left. Church of America, what's happened with us? I think God's called us to be in his army and be ambassador to Christ. And we said, well, I'm afraid I'm going home. From 32 to 10,000. God said, Gideon, 10,000 is still too many. I want you to take them down to the water, and I want you to watch how they drink. God, I'm going to build an army not by the skills and their physical abilities. I'm going to build an army by how they can drink water. God said, yeah. Can you picture in your mind 10,000 people marching down to the water? They get to the water, and God says, everybody that puts their face in the water like a dog, I can't use them. But everybody that puts, gets on their knees, and they cup their hands, and they pull water up to their face, guess what? I can use those. Here's 10,000 of those people march down, 97 100 of those men stuck their face in the water like a dog because life was about them. They were looking at them. It was about satisfying them and what they needed. Only 300 knelt down and cupped it up and was paying attention and watching what was going on. You know what I believe the Church of America has done? The Church of America has come to the water and stuck their faces in the water, and it's all about them, and it's not about watching what's going on. What does the scripture say? Watch. Be ready. But instead of watching and being ready, we have become consumers in our churches and we've put our faces down. If we don't consume just right, I'll go find another church that'll consume just right because what? It is all about me. We're the people of God. I believe most of us are home because we're afraid. I think most of us got our faces stuck in the water, and it's about us. I got some good news. There was 300 that weren't afraid. There's 300 that didn't stick their faces in the water because it was about them. There was 300 men, and those 300 men won a great battle for Almighty God. What happened? Those 300 men, those 300 men, they came together. What did those 300 men do? Those 300 men came together and Gideon said, whatever I do, I want you to do it. When I do it, you do it. You watch me. They all watched Gideon. They all shouted. They all broke the pitchers. And guess what? They had a victory. What would have happened if just one of them had done it? What would have happened on that night as a circle. The many nights. What happened if one had just followed Gideon? Be like, but what's it like when the whole of them? Kind of reminds me when my grandmother, my dad's mom, we called her Grammy, and she even lived with us a long time as I was growing up. One time my Grammy was out; she was just cleaning out her basement. Y'all ever have? You know, it's just time to clean out the house. I mean, I mean, how much do they tell us? The average year, we add how many pounds to our house a year? A thousand pounds. They say every year that you live in the same house, you add at least a thousand pounds of junk and stuff in your house every year. So you just figure out how long you've lived there, how much junk you got, a thousand pounds per year. So she's got she's got all this junk in her basement. So she's just cleaning out. She. You know, she lived in Cincinnati, so she had the furnace going, so she didn't need it. she just open up the furnace and just burn it all up. Well, she came to a big brown paper sack. I mean, huge. It was full. And she said, I don't need to look inside of that. That's just a bunch of junk. She picked up that bag, opened up the furnace, and threw that bag and shut the door. She didn't realize she just threw in all of the fireworks that were left over from the 4th of July. <laughs> hey, these are kind of cool. When these, when we show, they make smiley faces. Let me tell you, what about happened was not a smiley face in her home. Those things working together at the same time, they all exploded together. It blew the doors off of that furnace. It just didn't blow them off. It blew the two doors all the way across the room where they hit the wall on the other side. I mean, soot went through the whole house. They had to repaint every ceiling, every wall. They had to redo the entire house. But my first Baptist family, what would have happened if she would have just took one of them and threw it in and shut the door? Boom. But when they all went in together, working together, the explosion that was made. The explosion that it blew off the doors off the furnace. First Baptist, look at me. When we come together as one heart, one mind, unified in Jesus Christ, that we're going to tell our community, Christ crucified. Guess what? There is going to be an explosion, and the doors are going to be blown off the Lusa County. What are we gonna do? We're gonna come together because our nation and our neighbors and the people around us, they are ignorant of God's righteousness. They have established their own righteousness. They're not submitted to the righteousness of God. So what are we gonna tell them? Hey, just keep doing what you're doing. Hope you like going down the wide road. You're going to hell. Good luck. Hey, can I I tell you six ways that you can just feel a little bit better about yourself as you're on the way to hell? What do we need to tell them? Let me show you exactly. Turn 1 Corinthians chapter 2, these first five verses. You've got to, this is just good, right from God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Does anybody know anything about the city of Corinth? They were messed up. I mean, the people of Corinth, they were a messed up people in philosophy and morality. I mean, they were ignorant of God's righteousness. They established their own, and they sure did not submit. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul spent 18 months in this city at this point. Does anybody know what cities was he traveling at before he got to this city? Does anybody want to know? Well, you study in the history of the New Testament church. If When you get a chance this week, you can read Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 17. We know before Paul got to Corinth... Paul was in the city of Philippi. In the city of Philippi, what did he do? Remember, he that lady, that girl had a demon inside of her. He cast her out. Remember, the owner didn't like it because he made a lot of money off of her. So, guess what? I mean, Paul in Philippi, he was beaten. He was put in prison. From Philippi, he went to... Th- Thessalonica and Thessalonica as he was in the synagogue, the scripture tells us in Acts that in Thessalonica, he was in the synagogue and he reasoned with the people. As he reasoned and he taught the truth, guess what? The Jewish leaders did not like him at all. So the Jewish leaders threw him out of the city of Thessalonica. When he left Thessalonica, he went to Berea. When he went to Berea, guess what? He started preaching the truth of the gospel in Berea. All of a sudden, the people, the Jewish people in Thessalonica heard what he's doing. They left Thessalonica, and they came and threw him out of Berea. From there... He went to Athens, and when he went to his Athens, it says, and he reasoned with them. And it said, and some mocked him. They made fun of him. Now, he's in Corinth. He's reasoned in synagogues. He's done all of that. But when he sees the city of Corinth, he says, you know what? I'm going to do one thing. It's not about my persuasiveness of words. It's not, is my speech good enough? It's not, am I going to be intelligent enough? Can I tell you, Paul could argue with anybody better than anybody. In the Sanhedrin, the highest spiritual core. I mean, he was a Hebrew of a Hebrew. I mean, Paul could argue with anybody. paul says you know what when i go to this city i'm going to do one thing let's read it 1 corinthians chapter 2 beginning at verse 1 look what it says and i brethren when i came to you did not come it's not saying he could not come he says brother when i came to you i did not come with excellence of speech of wisdom excellent speech, or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Write this first thing now. In verse 1, when he went to the city of Corinth, he was declaring the testimony of God. Why is that the case? Because he knew 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. The scripture says that he went declaring the testimony of God. That word testimony. Does any of your translation have the word mystery? Some of your translations might have the word mystery. Paul saying, I'm going to declare the testimony of God. First Baptist, what does Velusa County they need to hear? The testimony. They need to hear us declaring and proclaiming the testimony of Almighty God. That's why I sometimes use that word, mister, because they were hearing something new for the very first time. You and I have heard the gospel a lot of times, can I tell you? But the majority of Volusia County, the the majority of our nation, they need us to declare the testimony of Almighty God. How do we do that? Look at verse number two. Write this second thing. Not only did they declare the testimony of the word of God, they were determined with a purpose. They were determined with a very clear purpose. Look at verse number two. I'm just taking these points, lifting them straight from the text of this scripture. For I determined... not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, I'm determined. I'm going to do one thing while I'm here. I'm going to preach Jesus crucified. For eighteen months, Jesus crucified. Could you imagine as if Paul walked through the streets of Corinth for those eighteen? Hey, there's Paul, Jesus crucified. You imagine Paul in the marketplace. Oh, that's that Paul. Jesus crucified. He was determined he was going to preach one thing and one thing only Jesus crucified. Why is he going to preach Jesus crucified on? You miss the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, you miss everything. Could you imagine the testimony? if you are personally known not for your appearance and your good looks? Wouldn't it be great for you to be known not for your abilities at work and what you can do? Wouldn't it be great that your neighbors don't just know you that you keep the best looking yard on the street? Wouldn't it be great that our neighbors, the people at work, the people in our community, when they look at you, they say, oh, that's that Jesus crucified person. Look at me, First Baptist, wouldn't it be a blessing when we're going door to door, person by person to every single home in our community? Won't it be good in August as we're going to serve our community in incredible ways? Won't it be great that our community say, oh, I know those First Baptist people, they're the Jesus crucified people. Wouldn't it be great when you're checking out at Publix or Walmart and you're handing them a card? Hey, won't you come to church with? Oh, where do you go first? Oh, you're those Jesus crucified people. Wouldn't it be great when you're at the mall and you're walking in that mall, ladies at Bed Bath and Beyond, and you're buying your little spray stuff that you want. Wouldn't it be great? You're checking out. and You say, Hey, why don't you come to? Oh, oh, you're that. You're a first. You're the Jesus crucified people. Wouldn't it be great, men, that you're sitting on top of that dozer that you drive every day? Wouldn't it be great when you get off that dozer and you invite that guy that you're doing the work for? Hey, won't you come to church? oh, Oh, you're the Jesus crucified people. First Baptist, what does it matter if we're known for our appearances, if we're known for, oh, they're so intellectual. I'd rather us be known. Jesus crucified. May I ask you a question? Is there any other way to be saved? I mean, let's look at this text again. You almost say, Pastor Eric, this is so simple. What what do you do? You know what? The person who's about to end their life you know what, these last couple of weeks we have seen designers, they can make a designer purse, but they didn't know how to design a person. What about that person that could stand up and make everybody laugh while their own very self was rotten in a way? What does that person need to hear? Christ crucified. What does that family need to hear that's in disarray? Some of you, that's your family. We know how it looks. You get in the car, come to the church, and World War III breaks out in the car. I mean, have y'all ever had a knockout, dragout fight in the car on the way to church? Oh, come on. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever? I mean, there's some words that have been said in there. your car on the way to church. And you've argued, you fussed, you fight. Some of you, you're riding with the spouse. You've been in the silent treatment, you've been mad at each other. Y'all have talked to each other in three days. Y'all know who you are. I know you. I mean, then a miracle happened. I mean, a miracle of all miracles. You turn your blinker on. You pull into the first Baptist Daytona Beach parking lot. You pull into the parking place. I mean, you're at each other's throat. You haven't spoken to each other. All of a sudden, a miracle happens. You open up the door at church. Then all of a sudden, (laughs) man, we're looking good. We got it all together. No, you don't. What is a family who's struggling? What do they mean here? Christ crucified. Look again in verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. First Baptist, what does our nation need? that's ignorant of God's righteousness, establishing their own, not willing to submit, they need to hear Christ crucified. What power does that come? Look at verse 3, 4, and 5. Paul says, but as I come and I preach Christ crucified, he's saying, I am dependent upon the power of God. Notice what it says in this text. Verse 3 says, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Paul said, hey, as I'm here with you, I'm afraid. I'm weak. Look at verse 4. And My speech and my preaching were not persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power. Look at verse 5 that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How are we going to tell our community Christ crucified? We're not going to do it in our power. We're going to do it as we are dependent upon the power of Christ. You might ask, man, how do I have access to God's power? You say, I need the access. I need God's power to say Christ crucified. How do I have access to God's power? Let me give you two simple words. Number one, take him at his word. And number two, believe what he said. How do you demonstrate Christ crucified in the power of Almighty God? Here's what we've done. You know why we're not saying Christ crucified in the power of Almighty God? Because sometimes we doubt the power of the gospel. Let me tell you, I don't care what your situation is. Christ. What? Our nation is sick. We're ignorant of God's righteousness. We've established our own, and we're not submitting to God. What does all three hundred and what thirty million people in America need to hear? Christ, dear Heavenly Father, I pray. We pray for this nation that we live in. Lord, our nation is headed in many different directions, but the right direction. Lord, our nation is headed in the direction that we have been ignorant of you, God. Lord, we've headed in a direction where we have established our own righteousness. Lord, we've headed in a direction that we have not submitted to God's righteousness. And Lord, we acknowledge that our nation needs to hear the same thing that the city of Corinth did. Christ Crucified. And Lord God, may we do that in the power of the Holy Spirit of God because we be- take your word for what it is and we believe what you say. Lord, I pray over this room for the ones in this room that have never trusted Jesus Christ, that they will realize Christ crucified. May they realize, Jesus, you are the only one through your death and resurrection that can forgive sin. You're the only one that can bring true healing to a home, to an individual. And it comes through your death and your resurrection. Lord, we pray over our nation that is so sick that, Lord, that we'll be broken and brought to our knees to acknowledge Christ crucified. Right now, as no one is moving around in this room, the first and most important question Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm just saying, not that you know about him, but you have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. There's probably several in this room, you don't have a personal, intimate relationship with Christ. In just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to Christ. When we stand, don't believe your flesh, don't believe the devil that's gonna say don't come, instead, the, come to one of these pastors and say, I need Jesus. For some of you, you've got children and grandchildren and neighbors and friends that aren't walking with the Lord. I'm going to ask you, won't you come and pray for them and pray that we'll preach Christ crucified to them. For some of you, you've been visiting, and this is where God wants your church home to be. When we stand, the pastors are down front. Come, be a part of our team follow what the Holy Spirit's directing. Lord God, may your Holy Spirit move during this time because Christ is crucified. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. Pastor Ken's leading us. If you need Christ, come. Come and pray over that family member or that neighbor. Pray Christ crucified. As we sing, come. Come Come and join this morning. The altar, the Father's As we sing, you come. Come and join the church this morning. Come to Christ today. People are coming. What about you? Come to Jesus. Come and join this morning. Come to be baptized. 30